Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by. This one is impromptu. Uh, An internet conversation has blown up. That was very, very interesting. I got into some back and forth with a lot of interesting characters on the interweb, people whom I respect and who I disagree with <laughs> uh, on, on various levels. Uh, so I wanted to do a think piece uh, on this topic. And rather than just kind of do a monologue, I wanted to get in somebody who knew their stuff. Uh, so we are going to do this as a dialogue. So this is a little bit different than an interview that I usually conduct. Uh, this person has agreed to come on to help me think through something. So they're going to lend their expertise. The topic is deluxification in games. Uh, you know, the big blingy games right now, we're talking about $350 for Suro. Uh, the tile laying game. Yes, a tile laying game can cost $350. But y'all didn't know that, or some, some people didn't. Uh, and it falls upon a bunch of different, um, you know, deluxe games. Do we like them? Do we not like them? Are there, uh, I want to go through all of them, the pros and the cons, and I want to uh, talk about that. Uh, the person whom I invited to uh, help me talk about this uh, knows a lot from multiple angles. Uh, he is the uh, designer of Viticulture and Scythe. He is uh, the head of Stonemire Games, which published Wingspan, which we're going to talk about somewhere in this uh, conversation. Uh, and an all-around uh, decent guy <laughs> for uh, you know answering my email and being able to schedule something pretty quickly. He is Jamie Stegmeyer. Welcome back to the show. Jason, thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me to talk about this topic. It's something I think about quite a bit, and so I'm, I'm very interested to hear your perspective on it. I knew you talk. Uh, you think about this quite a bit. Um, so the we really um, so Wingspan being the publisher of Wingspan and a lot of other titles is a big reason why I wanted to have you on. Also, just in general, I know you think a lot around this topic because of your blog. You have kind of come at this. Um, just, I mean, maybe not deluxification, but like, you know, the cost of stuff and the health of the hobby and from a numbers perspective on your blog. So before we get into it, tell people about, you know, your different content stuff, your blog and your videos and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I write a, a, a blog that's mainly focused on crowdfunding and it's branched into entrepreneurship and sometimes game specific stuff, but the general topic of, of crowdfunding. Um, and I also have a game design YouTube channel that probably isn't relevant to what we're talking about today, but I think a lot about game design. I think a lot about publishing and I think a lot about serving Stonemaier Games customers. And so I think that's a, a perspective I hope to add today to the conversation about how can we best serve the people who love the games that, that I love to play as well. Yeah, and I'll be, I'll be completely honest. So, I mean, I got into some conversations and I made some assumptions and I, I want to check if my assumptions bear out with the numbers. Like, yeah. I don't just want to be a person that opines, right? How easy would that be? You know, I have a YouTube channel. I do have a lot of opinionated uh, perspectives, but I think there's some hard numbers to look at here. And I wanted to invite somebody on who uh, not only is into the numbers, but is used, used to communicating uh, about those numbers. So that's, uh, that's Jamie's uh, ticked a lot of boxes there. So thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Now, I know you normally start these videos with kind of a disclaimer to say that we're not trying to to cancel these things. Yes. Do you wanna do you wanna share your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, a frame for our conversations. Uh, so Jamie does watch a lot of my videos and I think that's also where there's a relationship. Uh, and so this is uh, in, in keeping with all my videos. And for whatever reason, I think um, conversations about this can tend to have an edge that they don't need because I think people respond to criticism in certain ways. So like, you know, publisher posts a game, you know, uh, you know, $350 thing or, you know, $750 all in or whatever. And then a person will say, whoa, and then have a criticism. And then it's like, well, why are you criticizing them? And, and you know, and because it has that edge of like, okay, well, uh, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to ban and cancel? You're trying to uh, blame and shame people who, you know, the leave people alone with their fun type of thing. And I do not want to do that at all. I will be very honest. I am critical. Uh, but not for not in a way that wants to blame and shame, ban and cancel, none of that stuff. Like we're playing with practice swords, people. <laughs> These are <laughs> uh, we're not playing with real swords here. This is a just just a critical examination of the practice, uh, trying to take into account both pros and cons. So I just want to set that um, context right there right away. Thank you very much for uh, leading me right into that. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, and even though I think we will mention some specific projects today. 
Um, I'm also, I, at Samar Games, we have made some deluxe things. And so I'm not just going to be talking about other creators, but we'll also talk a little bit about what we've done. Not to self-promote what I've done, but rather to take accountability or talk about why sometimes publishers make really deluxe things and if those reasons are good or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So let's get into, so I have six points and yeah. each of them is like, has a pro and con aspect to it. Share it with Jamie so that we, we can get some uh, previous reflection going. Cause I really want to hit, I really want to um, do as much, much as I can to be thorough and represent many sides of the argument. Uh, so the first thing is the individual game. Uh, and it's a natural place to start, right? Because I think, the, so what occasioned this was a Facebook post, at least for me, uh, the Facebook post was reacting to another uh, Twitter thread. I'm going to leave no, not um, say any names, just kind of be uh, being be in general. Um, and the the original Twitter thread was very critical of the project, and it and it on the basis of like the game didn't deserve it. You know, this is a mediocre game. You know, why are we deluxifying mediocrity? Uh, I think I think that's the the phrase that was used, deluxified mediocrity, or whatever it is. And I want to I want to just start there because. I, I actually don't agree with that. I think, you know, any game, you know, it, it, that's one of those things where that like, you know, if people like it, if the, you know, you see enough of an audience, uh, I mean, I don't want to bag on any particular game. If you want to have your, like, there are $4,000 deluxe sets of Monopoly, you know, like with really nice gold-plated, you know, iron and hat and all that kind of stuff. So it's like any game can be deluxified. And, and, and so to isolate Suro, I mean, I don't know what you what you what your opinion on that is, or, or any particular game. Um, I mean, so I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I really like the context that you're providing here. That we have game, people's love and enjoyment of games are, are highly subjective, and so for someone to say that this game doesn't deserve deluxification or doesn't deserve a reprint or doesn't deserve an expansion, I don't know. That that's tough to respond to. I, I almost. Yeah, I, I think you could say it better than I can, Jason, but I, I don't know if that's a great foundation for starting a discussion about it, but I'm glad that you were able to take it someplace uh, constructive so we can actually learn from this experience and learn from this Suro project that's on Kickstarter right. right now. Yeah, I mean, so so my criticism begins not with the initial game itself. Like, I don't want to do that um, for a bunch of reasons. Number one, people have their fun, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, I am... Um, and I'll be perfectly honest, like, uh, you know, again, full disclosure over here, uh, I did a preview for another one of these type projects for Castle Panic. So Castle mm -hmm. Panic was a Kickstarter, the all-in package with all the expansions, minis, towers, was like 30 to 50 bucks. And that one got blowback too. And it's like, well, I did the preview. <laughs> uh -huh. And they're, you know, they're sending me a copy of the, the just the base game deluxe, uh, the, the deluxe version as a compliment. I didn't get paid any money for it. Just like, this is a passion project to me. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I, I get it on a personal level in terms of like a passion project. And that's one of the things you wanted to talk about uh, in terms of your notes. Like, I, I respect the fact that it is, a, it is something that makes players happy and it is something that makes designers happy as well. That's the sense that I got looking from looking at the Tsuro project page, that this is a passion project that's been in the works for a long time. Uh, the creator, Ray, uh, that, that Ray has been passionate about this yeah, game. Ray Rears of Calliope Games. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was, it was kind of neat to see that on the project page, I, I, the, the history of it and how, how much thought and uh, time he's put into this. And I think that... Uh, you know, we we all have our passion projects that we work on over the years. If if you have a yard that you might garden your yard and landscape it over years and years and years, and even though that might cost, I don't know, that, uh, gardening and landscaping might cost thousands of dollars oh, sure. over the years. Mm -hmm. um, well, I sculpture in the back in there. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And so for someone else to walk by that yard and say, "Oh, what a what a waste! Why would why would you spend all that money on that? You could have spent that on on a deluxe game instead." I don't know. It, it, it's a, as someone who works on passion projects myself, it's a little hard for me to to hear that. And given the what the project page seemed to indicate from from Ray, um, it it was kind of neat to see that that he had put so much passion into this and was trying to share that passion with other people through the project. Uh, yeah. What What do you think about that side of things? That we're we're, we're going to talk, a lot, I think, a lot about the consumer side of it, sure. but from the creator side of having this beautiful thing that you want to make. Is it justified to, to, to try to make that and sell it? Or is it, are there some times where maybe a creator could just make it for themselves? I mean, we're a consumerist hobby. I mean, like, like yeah. this is, I, I, it would be so easy to fall into the trap of like, well, 
you know, games should be for everybody. And like, I, I have a, that spirit in me. I'm not going to lie. Um, but again, like I have to, like I did the preview for a 30 to $50 game and had that, you know, um, had I had the opportunity to like, I'm not a Ciro fan. But if it had a cooperative mode, which I know there's fan made cooperative modes, and I'm I'm on the one stop co-op shop, and they said, hey, or you know, uh, have to do a preview. I I you know, especially when it comes to the smaller create. Okay, so especially when it comes to smaller creators, especially when it comes to games that people already like, right? Uh, so Suros is no matter what you think of it, there's there's a fan base, right? Uh, so let's go into the cons of some of these um, projects. Uh, and so I think in terms of that whole expensive mediocrity type thing, uh, so that's so a lot. In some ways, Suro, uh, when it's 500 backers, we're not talking about a million people, um, in a way, it kind of absorbed blowback that mm. people have for other projects, too. So it's like you see something that's like above 150 bucks and, and it's like, oh, here we go. You know, uh-huh. so um, we had Castles of Burgundy Deluxe, which is as of recording this on Game Pound right now with yeah. at two million pounds and around 16,000 backers uh, and posts, you know, like going back and mm-hmm. forth. Like I know we'll get into like the whole back and forth about posting, but, you know, it's there. Uh, you have like a Foundations of Rome, which just mm-hmm. came out from Arcane Wonders, which is a big project. And it's like, you know, it is a Euro game, but basically tiling, but like it's... <laughs> project and yeah. you know simon uh, is uh, you know they, they release these things on a quarterly basis uh you know in terms of uh, you know the marvels on the side and so like it, it just it feels like every project is is coming at it from a different perspective and i'll talk about like the cumulative effect later but just you know reading each individual project in their own there's like you know some are i think some are better than others mm-hmm. Like, to be honest with you, I think that, you know, a, a proven game that has a fan base, it gets a deluxe edition, that's a lot different than a, just like a right out the gate, here's a bunch of stuff. And I think people might be reacting to like that, like the one thing as if it's the other thing. So I don't know, like, so that's how I'll, I'll answer that question. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up that, that differentiation because it, it, I think it is one thing to take a, a tried and tested product that has an audience, may not be everybody, not everyone likes Suro, not everyone likes Castles of Burgundy, but these are popular games that a significant number of people like to take one of those and make a deluxe version versus the first appearance of a new game that maybe a few reviewers have seen, but most people have not played it and to come out of the gates with a you know, $150, $200 version of the game on, on Kickstarter or, or GameFound. I think that is a little different. Um, yeah. That taps into a different type. We'll talk about Fear of Missing Out in a little bit, but that taps yeah. into a different type of Fear of Missing, missing Out, I think. And it, uh, it almost puts a little bit more of the, the risk on the backer. Like, yes. I think there's a lot less yes. risk for Castles of Burgundy. So people have had plenty of chances to try this game and know if they like it. Mm-hmm. opposed to a new game that hasn't been tried and tested. Yeah, and I, and um, so reading through some of the Castle stuff, because there's a lot more fans, a lot more back and forth, there were some really good comments about, like, you know, um, so what, what people want to know is, does it feel the same? Is it is it still the same game to play, right? And yeah. because so many people have played it, you know, I think I heard, I saw a lot of comments that said, okay, this these particular blingy bits make it harder to play. You know, I don't see things as well. And, you know, I think there's like a, a tile placement. So like, you know, the tiles are really nice and ornate and they're, they're hard they're They don't like, you know, there isn't like a, a pile of them. So mm-hmm. like, okay, well, how are they going to make the random distribution? And blah, blah, blah. So asking all these great questions, that, but they can because they've gotten the game before. And you can ask that, that question. Uh, I'll shout out Mark the Thoughtful Gamer. Uh, he did a blog about deluxification. And I think his end was some games... Like the deluxe has to kind of match the gameplay mm-hmm. and uh, that if the deluxe is just like there for the deluxe to kind of draw the eyeballs and draw the, the money and not and not enhance the gameplay, then now we're getting into, you know, some stuff. And then you yeah. go take the, the step down. It's like now the deluxe is on, you know, and by the way, I, when I say deluxe, I probably like, you know, plus 150 bucks and like, yeah. <laughs> like really, really nice and, you know, gaudy, like, you know, a not necessary yeah. componentry. That's kind of what I mean by deluxe. Um, when you are doing that to a new project and people can't make that decision, you don't give mm-hmm. consumers that, uh, that uh, ability to kind of um, think through their product, then that's, that's where it gets a little bit more difficult. But, you know, again, like we, if this podcast does anything, I want to give, I want to give people the ability to kind of like differentiate some of this stuff and not be mm-hmm. so reactive to just like the, the sticker shock. Sure. So, 
Sure. Okay. Uh, so then let's go to number two. And I, I yeah. got this one from uh, Brenna Noonan, who is my soul sister. If you're listening to this, Brenna, <laughs> this is a, uh, I got this because we went back and forth on Twitter a little bit. Uh, Brenna is like, this is like, and it, so like, you know, we call it a cash grab, right? That's one of the things that we say about these kind of projects. Oh, they're just trying to grab cash. And Brenna says, well, isn't that every business? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you try to grab cash one of the reasons i wanted to have jamie on because a business owner and like can bring that uh perspective on there and it's like yeah you know so so getting under the hood of that these deluxe version i i this is a pretty common practice you can tell me about this so it's like a lot of times a company when they have a property they know people will like they will amp it up they'll give they put out the deluxe version as a way to build more capital Right. And, and, you know, because Kickstarter can be scary. You never know what game is going to hit. But if you put out a deluxe version of a game people like, then it's a little bit more of a sure thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And not yeah. only that, you can totally speak to this. Like, it's actually not that, um, like, you know, it's not that hard and it's not that expensive to like up the componentry a little bit. Like, you can really get a, a, some good return on investment in a deluxe edition. So you, maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you said that perfectly there. Like just knowing I'm working on a game right now that I've spent five years designing. I could have spent two months uh, taking an existing game and just making it nicer. Um, like that, that it takes so much less time and investment. I mean, the investment in, in money is still there. Like I, I'm with uh, Turo or any of these games where you have a bunch of molds, you have a bunch of sunk costs that you're incurring, um, die cuts, things like that. But uh, the investment in time between making a new product versus making a nicer version of a product that you already know works and functions and people have fun with it is massively significant, I think, between the two. Uh, so I, I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. I remember when you talked about um, Tapestry yeah. and like Tapestry came in at 100 bucks yeah. and uh, MSRP, $100 American MSRP. And I remember reading some of your posts about it because like, you know, like there's some there were some componentry choices that were like a little Mm -hmm. bit nicer than, you know, you could have maybe reduced it like, you know, five, 10 bucks. But the componentry difference was stark, if I remember. So maybe talk people through like, you know, some of the guts of how decisions get made about like what quality componentry that you include in your games. Yeah, I mean, for most of the games that we make, there's only one version of the game. It's there are a few exceptions to that red rising one of our more recent games we made a collector's edition and it's we made somewhere it's somewhere yeah but tapestry i just just decided to make one version of the game because oftentimes i want i want to make our games feel deluxe but to be accessible to as many people as possible and i know hundred dollars is not accessible to as many people as possible but in the instance of tapestry it was the difference between using these uh big uh, pre-painted miniatures um, as for your capital city or using tiles and tiles probably would have dropped the cost of the, the game, the MSRP of the game, the price to around $80, maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower, but we're still in that category of pretty expensive game out of the box right. then. And so I was like, okay, well, if we're, if we're already at $80, I want to make a really, what I think is a really beautiful civilization game out of the box. Um, but if that difference had been, it's a $40 game versus an $80 game, mm. That's a different conversation there. That's an area where I might've gone with two different games, a deluxe one and uh, and a, a retail version of the game, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, the publisher is making that decision all the time and they're, and again, they're trying to get sales, <laughs> Yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's what, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. So it's like, okay, if the, if the consumer is saying that, you know, we really want this kind of cheaper version, then, you know, that's what they're going to get. Oftentimes, oftentimes, like someone like me will say, is this really necessary? Because um, I could be a real Luddite when it comes to my componentry. But the sales don't say that. Like the sales right. say, you know, uh, that in the aggregate, people want the nicer stuff and they're willing to pay the extra for the nicer stuff. So it's like, is how is a publisher supposed to say no to that? How is this publisher supposed to be like, you know, why do they have to be kind of the moral agent in the system? You know, at, at the end of the day, they're trying to get capital and the best companies take that capital and reinvest it in the rest of their product so um you know calliope games and i want again i, I go back to Suro um because that's an example i think of how to do it right is a it's a tried and true product uh for some people and b like calliope games isn't some boutique thing like they make family-friendly accessible games and i think you know soaking the rich a little bit uh, <laughs> and using that capital to make you know 
broadly accessible games, I mean, that's, you know, that sounds great, right? When I think one other key element there too is that Calliope has not said we're done making the $35 version of Suro. Right. We're only making the $350 version now. Anyone who, people might find this campaign, discover the, the campaign or discover the game through this campaign and check out their game store, their local game store for the, the very cheap version of the game. So they've taken out that well, there is some fear of missing out. Again, we'll talk about that later. Fear of missing out on the super deluxe version, but they haven't uh, uh, monopolized the market for the game and said, this is the only way that you can get it now. They're still making the game very accessible to other people. And I appreciate that. I'm curious what you think about that when you see a Kickstarter campaign that only has the deluxe version. Is that a, is that a red flag to you when, the, when they only have the $150 version of the game when they could have offered the $70 version, but they didn't? What do you think about that when you find this? Funny, funny you mentioned that. I actually yeah. would rather, if for our existing property, or actually for any property, like, and I speak mm -hmm. from a perspective of a psychotherapist, uh, there is a difficulty when you offer both tiers, you know, because what happens is, uh, and, and you and you kind of like offer both tiers at once, and it's like, okay, you know, pledge, pledge, like you have the little windows, and yeah. it's like, okay, I could buy the you know forty dollar game with the standees and the tiles and the cardboard and everything. But then this $70 game is like standing there with the middle coins and the, you know, the, 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 whatever, a die cut <laughs> player boards, all the little things that gamers love. Uh, and actually something along these lines came along with a terraforming Mars Ares expedition mm -hmm. where they kickstarted it. And there was a whole like mess about timing. I'm not going to talk about the timing aspect of it, but like there was a, they kickstarted like a nicer version and then they released a target version. And there is a class of gamer who thought the target version was garbage, <laughs> and, uh -huh. you know, and it just, and, you know, so it's like, okay, well, give me this. And then, so if you have a, a gamer who is kind of on the fence and they're like, well, it's only $20, like that's where you get into a little bit of like, are people really making the rational decision to get the, to get the improved thing, or are they doing it to keep up with the Joneses? Or are they right. doing it because like, you know, when they, you know, cause let's say you, you playing and you take a picture of it and you post it on Facebook, you're gonna get a comment that says, well, why did you get the deluxe version? Yeah. It's the human beings. And like, <laughs> I, I can see people saying, well, I don't know, you shouldn't care about that. But it's like, it happens. And that yeah. does create pressure on people to be like, well, I don't wanna like get the janky version. I want to get the good version. So like putting them so close together can be, it can be a difficulty. I, I, I almost like, you know, the, the castles of Burgundy thing, uh, I know they're doing like tears thing and that's a little bit much, but like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, just feature the deluxe thing. Like, people can get the original, the, the base game if they want to elsewhere. So that's, that's fine. Um, but okay, on that so campaign, like, even the base game is, I think it's $85 plus shipping. So that's just to get the most basic version of it, which to me right. is still a lot yeah. for that game. For that game, yeah. For yeah. that game, yeah. Castle Burgundy, very smooth, easy game. And yeah, I have the Castle yeah. of Burgundy card game. That's my. It's enough for me. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thing is cheap as heck. I love that thing. Uh, okay, so uh, point number three, uh, and this is kind of a, a pro, mostly on the deluxe side. I, I've, I've alluded to this. Like deluxe has always been with us. Let's be honest. Like we like, and it's not just. Like, I mean, there's board gaming. I mentioned it before, but like deluxe monopoly, deluxe chess. Are you kidding me? Like people have are spend thousands of dollars on their like really nice crystal you know, chess sets on marble boards and, and you know, etched and inlaid all that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, we had like, you know, $300 Catan has been with us for a very, very long time. Uh, you know, and that's was when $300 was like $500 now. So it was like even more expensive. Uh, and, you know, so like even comic books, you've always had like, you know, foil editions and, you know, different covers and like laser, like we've always had deluxe with us. So I think like, I, I, I just wanted to put that in there because I think some folks in the conversation, you know, like if we're criticizing this project that we're criticizing just deluxification in general. And it's like, no, <laughs> we're not doing it. You can't, it's just like a human instinct to want to have the nicer thing if you can afford it. So uh, I think, um, so, and there's a, there's a, there's a further thing. And I want to ask you about this. Like not only is deluxe okay, it's kind of a sign of a healthy hobby. And that uh, there's, there's a, like deluxe actually plays a role in making the hobby broader in the sense that like, okay, uh, you know, people come in, they see the nice stuff and then it leads them down like, cause they're drawn to it. And, and they don't just like stay there. They kind of lead them down further to the hobby. Like you make yeah. really nice games, Jamie. Like you, oh, you, you, and I know you don't make like the blingy, super blingy games, but like wingspan is nice. 
those eggs are nice. <laughs> and like, you know, yeah. other things, side, like you had kickstarted mm-hmm. that with the metal coins and everything. Those are nice. Yeah. So like, what do you think about the idea that Deluxe is like an active draw and like a healthy part of the hobby? Yeah, I mean, from a, from a marketing perspective, I, I think about games in terms of hooks. Like I, I want all of our games to have a mechanical hook, a thematic hook, a, and a, at least one component hook, like something when you pass it on the, when you see it on Instagram or you walk by a table at a convention or even at a game night and you see a game on the table uh, and you're drawn to it for some reason. That, like that, I, I, want, I design games around that reason. There should be something that hooks players in. You mentioned the, 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 the bird feeder dice tower and the eggs and wingspan. Um, they did add, they do add a little bit to the cost, but I think they're worth it for that hook. Not just, I guess, not just for marketing, but also just for the play experience to have eggs instead of, uh, you know, cardboard tokens for eggs like that. But we always make, well, I always make sacrifices for that. Like with, with Wingspan, there are cardboard food tokens in Wingspan, because if we had added wood tokens, that would have increased the price another probably $15. And I wanted Wingspan to be as accessible to as many people as possible. Um, so yeah, it's all about, I, I think, engaging, like what is enough to hook people and to make them really happy that the game's on table on the table in front of them um, versus pricing them out of the game altogether. Right. Like I, I spoke with um, Andrew Fisher, who is one of the developers of uh, the new Descent, uh, the Descent mm-hmm. of the Dark, well, Descent 3E or whatever it is. And I asked him about, you know, because that game was a $175 game, like right out the, right out the box. Yeah. And he's like, okay, uh, you know, we could have made a cheaper game, but, you know, the, the, the multi-level dungeons, like the cardboard that you fit together mm-hmm. so you can like walk your mini all around. It has this like kind of like physical presence and that just creates a draw for people. Like yeah. I can only, like as he was speaking, I was like, okay, 15 year old me, if I was yeah. 15 years old walking into like a game store or a library or, and I saw that thing, what would I do? And I have to admit myself, I would have been like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> ooh. <laughs> so. So yeah, I mean, I think like there is a lot to say, and this this so I, I so far I think people are getting the sense that I'm well, I want to lay out the pros. I have some cons coming, but I do I do want to lay out the pros. There's a lot to say uh, for deluxe. So this is in no way kind of bagging on people for liking it or for saying it's like a terrible thing. But th- let's do let's start to get into some of the uh, critical points. So we're gonna get to our number four. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the number uh, number four is the impact on the hobby as a whole, impact on the games themselves. And on the publishers. And the way I think of it is I, I distinguish, maybe this is a, a little bit of a false distinction, but I, you know, we have to, we have to start somewhere. Um, I distinguish between like the mass hobby, like the mass market, just, you know, middle class, so to speak, and the top of the hobby. So the top of the hobby, they got the bucks, you know, they got the bucks and they got, they, it, it's almost like, you know, at some point, like, you know, creators realize that like, wow, I could do anything and they'll buy it. <laughs> How many expansions can I put in there? They're backing 600, 700, 800. And like, there, there's this, mar- there's, a, there's an aspect of the market in gaming that could just, that, that finds the way that, and they find the bucks for it. So like, I distinguish those two things. I distinguish like the top of the market from the broad market. And so the paradigm is, and I really want to get into this and I really need your uh, help. Don't, the, the deluxe feeds that top market. The top market is asking for it. And the, yeah, here you go. There you go. Uh, and, and generally like you, we get more complex games and we get that's like nicer games, like driven by that top of the market because they can afford it and they, and they, they're hobbyists. They want it. Does that materially impact the middle? Is there a way in which feeding that top of the market you know, reshapes the publishers, shapes the gamers, somehow like, you know, takes away from the strength of the middle of the hobby, that broadly accessible area. So it's an open question. You can, we'll start there and then we can kind of dive in. And this is a topic that I'm really curious to hear what people have to say in the comments, because I think sure. it's a great, great question. And I'm almost going to throw it back at you a little bit here, because one of the projects I looked at for this was Simon's uh, Marvel Zombicide. Um, and the top, I was very curious what, how expensive the top reward was and how many people backed it. And the top reward was a little over $600 to get all in everything. There's a bunch of exclusives in there, tons of stuff. Galactus, Max. Galactus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a three foot Galactus that people could just have. And then right. the, the shipping was a little bit crazy, but we don't even worry about that. Oh, yeah. The shipping is even, yeah, that's, that's even more, probably hundreds of dollars on top of that. Yeah. Um, and I thought going, looking at when I saw that price, I was like, okay. 
that top of the market that you're talking about, maybe maybe a thousand people, six thousand people back to that level, six thousand people, so many people, <laughs> and. So I wonder when I see that number, I mean, I wonder a lot of things about that number. Like how many, are there 6,000 people that can really afford that? Are some of those people confusing wants with needs? Are they buying something they can't afford? And to bring it back to your question a little bit is when those 6,000 people get that, all that stuff for the game, um, how does that impact the rest of the hobby? Like it, it, is that that's great for their tabletop if they can afford it and they have fun with it that's awesome but for the friends who see it and then can't buy the extra stuff for for everyone else for the other billion people in the world or eight billion people in the world who are not those six thousand people what does it do to them psychologically mm -hmm. economically what what do you think actually i'll get to that in the last point to, in terms okay. of the impact on gamers yes uh, yeah. i mean i i wonder so okay six thousand people backing at 600 some odd dollars like yeah. So when I talk about impact on the hobby itself and impact on publishers and people who are making the game, it's exactly what I'm talking about. So it's like, it's almost like a giant honeypot of yeah. money, you know, and it does it from a publisher perspective, does somebody look at the honeypot and say, Ooh, okay, I'm going to, you know, shift focus. Mm. You know, I normally would kind of like put a lot of focus into trying, you know, uh, finding the new designer, finding innovative games, finding, you know, uh, you know, kind of going to different corners and getting stuff that I might be able to sell to a broad market. But someone sees that, that, you know, and again, and it's not just that it's like, you know, Castle Burgundy is at 2 million pounds. That's a, it's a very successful project. Uh, and, and you know, all, and you know, like they said before, Marvel's Zombies had six thousand backs at the top level, and all these other projects, when they're good, they cha ching. Yeah. Does a publisher make a decision and say, okay, I'm going to go for, I'm going to take and divert energy away from the making broader, broadly appealing games, and put that energy towards the top of the market? And like, I, and that's conceptual. Like, I guess I'm wondering, has that happened? Like, do the stats bear out that? publishers are putting more energy into it because that's a feeling that people have right. like that is a actual that is an absolute feeling that like the this stuff is distorting having a distortionary mm. effect on what they're getting i i think you're definitely i, I think that is a, a valid theory a valid hypothesis there i think that we've seen that happen over the last few years that that is an extreme a 600 reward where six six thousand people back it that is an extreme but over the years more and more I have seen and heard Kickstarter being an outlet for better or worse, because I think there's some positives to it, like we've mentioned, for creators to put that really deluxe version, uh, deluxe version on crowdfunding, whereas it wouldn't, most games of that price don't have a retail lifespan. They don't target you, it, like mass market stores aside, even in a hobby game store, there are very few games that are over a hundred dollars and yeah. even fewer, far fewer that are under $200. So crowdfunding has almost become the place to put those games. And it, I can definitely, well, as a creator that is not enticing to me, oddly enough, I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to go that route because I, when I spend so much time and effort making a game, I want it to be for ideally 100,000 people, not 6,000 people. Mm -hmm. um, but I can totally see that being enticing. I mean, that, that alone, 600 people, $6,000, or 6,100, you know, the, <laughs> you you, it. <laughs> it, it's a lot of money. It's a lot, a lot of, money. of money for a creator to look at and say, okay, I want that too. I want to give that a try. Mm -hmm. And so like, is that happening on some broad level? So you mentioned before yeah. Target and that, uh, and uh, like other broadly available games. And you mentioned before, just you have a spirit of, okay, that sounds great, but I still want to make broadly available games. And you are the publisher of Wingspan. And so it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, so this is, so we get into the counter argument and I'll quote Jason Matthews. Uh, I know I'm, I'm name dropping a lot, but like this is, these are Twitter conversations. And like, I think these people would, you know, totally um, you know, stand by what they're saying here. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, their perspective is that no evidence exists that th any distortions happening. As a matter of fact, just gaming has just gotten more broad. So like, okay, we may see more deluxe versions, but we're also seeing an explosion at the middle as well. They, you can go into Target, you can buy all sorts of games. So like, you know, like my, uh, one of the things I, I said was like, okay, how many games are in the Million Club, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. they, most of the, the million, million had sold. So that most of them came kind of before 2016, you know, like the Catans and the, 
Um, Tickets to Ride. Tickets to Ride and, and Carcassonne and Dixit. So those are in the Million Years Soul Club. And that that's that, you know, 2010 was like, you know, and, and 2014 was like, these are golden age for like mm-hmm. everybody was playing those games. So I'm looking at it going, okay, are we, are we not getting as many of those games? We got Wingspan. Wingspan busted through, but like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the prints are a little bit smaller. I'm, I'm skeptical about the impact of like the crowdfunding thing. However, people are, you know, look they say look look at the sales look look at the sales of azul look at the sales of code names look at the sales of cascadia cascadia yeah. we, uh, we did a playthrough over the one stop co-op shop the, the i think cascadia is like the latest like really good like broadly available game yeah right these yeah. are the sales are strong here and i'm like okay are they really that strong are they you know are they are comparable to the thing so maybe uh you know do you have a perspective on that like is the middle strong do we have a good middle broadly accessible are we at a good space there in the hobby i think in terms of games that break through like the, some of the games that you've mentioned i i think it is a, a pretty i think it is a pretty strong middle right now i mean you you those code names azul cascadia uh, i i you know i'm biased towards wingspan but i think wingspan has have brought a lot of joy to people um which by the way you didn't even yeah. anticipate <laughs> when you very no. first made it <laughs> I, I had no idea that's my hope for every game to break through but it, i think it happens so rarely uh for for any game wingspan sold i think 1.4 million copies at this point i think azul has sold over 3 million i don't know mm. cascadia's numbers codenames must have sold over you know 2 3 million at this point um yeah i mean those games have broken through i think we're seeing i mean there are so many more games released now that I think the, the odds are that something is going to break through every now and then and, and, and make a splash in that way. Arc Nova, we're seeing that this year from Arc Nova from a much heavier game. I think that game has, has broken through in a special way. Uh, uh, but and so yeah, are, are the are the Marvel zombie zombie sides of the world getting in the way of that middle? Or taking it, energy from or, or like you know, pub- it, yeah. publishers who would normally, you know, look for the 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 you know the innovative product or something. Like you yeah. our companies really making that decision. It's like, okay, now we're not gonna do the broad, we're gonna serve the top. Like, you know, right. I, I see we see that in a lot of different media, right? I mean, when I was a kid, right. there were all these kind of like, you know, just mid-market movies, you know, $10 million mm-hmm. budget, very solid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, you know, Fight Club or American Dream or, you know, a, a Spiel, your normal Spielberg movie or like these weren't like big budget things, but they were like, they had some investment, broadly available, everybody could see it. Nowadays, there's no middle. Like you, it's either $300,000, you know, uh, a $300 million production plus or like indie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. very little in the middle in sports you try going to a, a you know a, a, a stadium or like a football game or something like that like you're in for hundreds of dollars so like the middle yeah. is shut out so i think there's a, a sense that which okay thing as things move along as things mature you know prices will go up and like things will become more exclusionary the middle might get shut out what you're what a lot of commenters said and what you seem to be saying is that that's not quite true in board games that is not quite true, but I want to, I, I, I can, I, I know you have a con here. And I think it's a very interesting way to put it. So, so may, show the other side. Do you, do you think, I mean, you, you, you can say it here because I've seen what you've written out in your outline here, but I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Go, go, uh, go ahead and say, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned Arc Nova. You mentioned Wingspan. Yes. So yeah. I, I do think that in terms of, I think of it like a gravity, right? Mm-hmm. So that top of the hobby almost like exerts gravity to make stuff nicer and more expensive. So like uh, in days of yore, you know, it would be the Catan. And Catan's a $39 million, $39 million so I don't know if we'll ever see that again, but like, I really, yeah. <laughs> I really hope that we do. But Catan is so easy. Like I could teach a family to play Catan. And I, I know gamers think wingspan is easy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not like we had. Uh, if people haven't seen it, the the Mandy Patakin uh, like viral video. He he's sitting yeah. there orthogonal. What's that? I feel like this is a uh, yeah. what did he, uh, what did how was excited? He's like you know I feel like this is an IQ test for idiots and I'm failing. <laughs> like he couldn't get it. So uh-huh. <laughs> so like I mean so this is more about the complexity of it, but like in terms of uh, I mean yeah. it, also the cost because Wingspan's not a cheap game and and Arc Nova's not a cheap game. So like the you know so we do have examples of games that bust through like the you know like Cascadia anybody can play that's cool and I don't want to say that there's no games and I'm very care I, I'm very sorry if I gave that impression like okay there's no games ever but I do think that of the games that burst through they're a little bit more complex a yeah. little bit less accessible yeah. and a little bit more pricey 
just even the ones that burst through. So like we've raised the floor and I think it's just an open question to ask, is that gravity coming from the top of the hobby? Is that having at least a little bit of an effect of, you know, raising a past where others would feel welcome in the hobby? I think if you had posed that question maybe 10 years ago, I would have been really, really concerned. Um, but now there's so many games being created. Even, even just the other day on Kickstarter, there were a, a bunch of very accessible kind of family weight games launched. I backed uh, First in Flight, uh, about, uh, w- which looks to be a very accessible um, deck building game about, uh, about the first flight, um, in the US at least. And it, uh, so there are so many games being created now but that, that I, I think there is space for a lot of different games to coexist and for games like Arc Nova to break through. But like if, if Arc Nova had broken through 10 years ago, I think I would have been concerned that designers and publishers would have focused almost too much on really heavy games and not mm. on these more accessible games. But now for every, for every person who loves Arc Nova, including myself, uh, for every designer who loves it, I think there, there are gonna be many, many designers who don't wanna design a game that heavy, that wanna design the next Werewolf or the next Azul or Codenames. Okay. Yeah. So we're still getting that. We're still getting people who I want to design so. the next werewolf and they're, they're able to find a platform. So, I mean, as a person who publishes Wingspan, like, I mean, um, the, the last million, you know, copy thing, at least now, uh, at least the most recent one. Um, I mean, is it harder to get attention in this uh, current environment? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily related only to the really deluxe games that we're talking about today. Um, but more so due to the sheer number of games and the sheer number of good, beautiful games being produced. Like it, it, I, I think it puts maybe an extra, a, a good, a healthy amount of pressure and accountability on publishers like, like my company and any publisher, any creator to only put their best foot forward, to only release the best of the best. Um, and, and even then still hope that it breaks through. We only, re- we only release one or two new games a year. Um, and uh, rather than casting a wide net, we, we, you know, we could release a dozen games a year and hope that one breaks through, but that's, in my opinion, that's, that's almost a different topic. That's, you know, diluting right. it even more rather than right. putting the, our, our best foot forward. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So then we'll get to number five. Number five is a straight up con and it's something that no mm-hmm. one talks about. I'm not going to go into it yeah. uh, too much. Uh, but I mean, what are we putting into these games? We're playing like you know when we talk about the. Now we'll get back to the big deluxe versions. Now I know we got into a little bit of sidebar about nicer games and everything. Uh, but I'm happy at least for now that some people think that the middle is well served and we're okay with that. I'm I, I'm willing to kind of adjust my own thinking on that. So I'll I'll leave it there. Um, getting back to the deluxe games, um, it they're filled with plastic. They're filled with metal. They're filled. And especially plastics. I mean, when, when we're talking like the nicer games, I mean, it's mostly, uh, it's mostly plastics. And like, you know, we're, we're, are we in this moment of like, you know, climate change and the environment and sustainable games? And I, I don't know how much Stonemaier's done. I think you did have like a blog about sustainable games. Like there is no question. We have to say these deluxe versions are just horrendous. <laughs> and just like in general, I think the hobby has tended towards, like I, I did a, um, a, a pod recently uh, with Jonah over at the Web Wonder. And, you know, she was saying like, I mean, games are less environment, environmentally friendly now than they were 10 years ago. Cause it's just so much more plastic that, you know, UV spot coating and all, all you know, uh, the adhesives on cards. And there's all sorts of things that make us less friendly. And this deluxification is taking us even further in that direction. It's almost like we're taking the car and careening it, you know, towards the worst things. And so that does need to be said as well. I agree. I agree. Um, the, the one uh, I'm going to put my f- the finger at myself here a little bit, because the one thing I'd say is that, for a game like the Tsuro Deluxe Edition that they might end up making a thousand copies of based on the current backer trends. I think Wingspan has done considerably more harm to the environment than those thousand copies. Because we've made 1.4 million copies of, of entire sets of plastic eggs and plastic inserts and plastic trays, opposed to a thousand copies of you know, some metal components. I agree with you. I mean, Marvel is a different story. That I mean, there must be so much plastic in that in that six hundred dollar version yeah. of Marvel's Homicide. And you mentioned the trays. Yeah. Like, I think that's the also trays. a thing. Like, yeah. I mean, we're, um, I I think it was Mex vs Minion was the first company that uh did the game trays with the Z, and yes. like it's just beautiful trays. And I think that 
I don't know if Stonemaier, I Yeah, you did. Like, I think side ride defenders had like a decent little like tray system and everything. And uh, and, and you've played with the trays. Like, and that's such an underrated part of the experience. But like, as we have served the top of the hobby, like the demand for nice trays <laughs> has, yeah. has exploded. I've heard com- companies complain about it all the time. Uh, you know, do you feel that on your end? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel it, and I see people talk about it on social media all the time. When I post, whenever I post a photo, photo of uh, like parks you know, beautiful game, an environmentally themed game. Uh, people love the insert. I love the insert in parks. It's a beautiful insert. They really did a great job building that insert. And that's like the first comment always. Oh, they yeah. did. And I can see other people, <laughs> yeah. see other publishers, designers, see that and be like, oh, I want that too. I want this reaction to it too. I want to make a nice insert so people talk about it. For Wingspan, we were actually in the process of um, making a cardboard pulp uh, tray and to replace, to permanently replace the plastic tray. And we were actually also replacing the plastic eggs with wooden eggs that I think even look better than the plastic eggs. Um, But the plastic and the eggs there are completely interchangeable. Like you will not be able to tell the difference. Um, The tray though, the technology to make a cardboard pulp tray is not anywhere close to the technology Mm. for making a fancy plastic tray. So it's okay. It gets the job done, but... uh, but I get the temptation there. We're talking about to, uh, kind of publisher temptations, designer temptations there to make a beautiful plastic tray versus this more expensive, uglier, environmentally friendly version. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, listening to the publishers, like the publisher is saying, okay, we'll, we'll do what the, the, play, the players want. Like we're, yes. we're not here yeah. to like, you know, a flag wave, and you know, maybe certain things, but like in terms of, you know, quality of life stuff and how the games look and how the game, you know, how things are stored, like we're going to just do what the players want. And if we're not going to demand, you know, cardboard trays, if we're not going to demand more eco-friendliness, then, then we're not going to get it. So, I mean, and so insofar as like deluxification represents like a total, like turn away from that, I just wanted to put it out there like that as a con. So like, and it also explains some of the, ugh, you know, when somebody sees, yeah. it's not just a sticker shock. It's like all that plastic. There is a, there yeah. is a quarter of the people that are going, like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, so that's just explaining, you know, some of the pushback that sometimes somebody has. Okay, so that's number five. So let's go to the last yeah. one. Uh, and, and this is something I know you are interested in. Uh, we talked about it. Uh, on the, um, You mentioned it before. And I'm definitely interested because I'm a psychotherapist. And it's the impact on the gamers, our psychology and our communities. What does Deluxe do? Right. And I just mentioned it before because you asked the question about like, um, you know, having deluxe and regular in the same in the same way, mm-hmm. like or in the same like project kind of one to one as human beings. We are we have this kind of gravitational pull towards the nicer thing and the gravitational pull. We call it FOMO. We don't, we, uh, you know, fear of missing out. If people don't know. And it's, it's weird because like the way we talk about FOMO has become this. Oh, it's my FOMO. Uh, and, and it becomes like this kind of cute thing, but it's not cute for a decent amount of people. And we, we're in a space of like, we don't want to talk about how not cute it is because we'll get, you know, someone will inevitably say, well, you just got to make the right decision for yourself. And it's like, that's not how humans work. Like humans are we're social beings and we, we want the nicer thing because we don't want to like have this imagined feeling that like, oh, well, I don't want to miss out with the thing everybody else is playing. Like it's just under the hood psychological. And I know you have some perspectives on that. Yeah. I mean, well, this is is a big topic. One little part of it that I think a lot about is, um, and you just mentioned this in the previous topic too, what, what consumers are asking for. Like when you have fans of an existing brand in particular, and they're, they are actively asking for something is it always the right thing for the publisher to say yes? Um, right. The example yes. for this with my company is Scythe and the metal mechs that we made for Scythe. People were asking us for a long time, will you make metal mechs? We think, we think this would be really cool. And there was a tipping point where enough people said that where I was like, okay, maybe it would be cool. And we made them. We made metal mechs for Scythe. It's the most expensive product that we've ever made, especially given what you get for it. It's, it's $50 for nine metal mechs. And then you can get a full set for your entire game if you spend $200, which to me is outrageous. As a consumer, I would not pay that, but enough people asked for it that we did it. And sometimes I still feel a little guilty about that. Um, and there are other times where I just say no, where I'm like, I, I, I don't, as a public, I, I feel like I need to look out for you in some way, me talking <laughs> to the customer. And I don't think this is a healthy thing for me to make because I bet you will buy it and I don't want you to spend the money on this thing. 
And so there's this weird balance, I think, between publisher accountability towards their customers, balanced against what customers are actively asking for. What do you think about that as a psychotherapist? What, where, where does the responsibility or the accountability lie there? Um, okay, so it, it, this is a psychotherapy thing, but it's also like, um, you know, fish criticizing water thing. Like, you know, I mean, we're, we're soaked in like what you just said, right? What you just said is like so against the capitalist ethos. And this is what we're in. We're in a capitalist consumerist system. And by saying that, you know, by you know, doing my socialist thing, I guess I, I, I guess I am. And so much of this conversation, for me anyway, I think people take it as, okay, you know, is it right for the person to, to buy it? I'm like, I don't want to focus on the person. I want to focus on the mm-hmm. ecosystem. How healthy mm-hmm. is our ecosystem? And, yeah. uh, and it, we need, part of what we need is publishers who do that, right? Who say, you know, okay, this was what the market says, but the market is a sociopath. Like the market, <laughs> <laughs> the market does not care. Like the, if the market sold milk to, you know, a, a cat and if the milk sold, Mark sold milk to, a, you know, a, a baby, like it would choose the cat if it could get more money. Like it wouldn't care. Like it was, mm-hmm. it, it's just like, you know, it doesn't have morals like that. So like when I see people yeah. on the comments saying, well, well, the, let the market decide. Well, the market could like take us into all sorts of crazy directions. The market might yeah. decide like, well, you know, smoke a bunch of jewel, and, <laughs> you know, and like, and, and, I, and I say, I, I, compare it to like addictions and maybe that's a little bit strong, Mm. but is like retail therapy can be an addiction Mm. and, you know, browsing on Kickstarter, like, you know, you know, cause we get the emails, like projects we love and, you know, all those things, like if you're plugged into the crowdfunding community uh, and I'll I'll focus on uh, actually this, but this would be a little bit of a sidebar because I did get this, um, this feedback too, that like, this is a lot of what we're talking about as an online thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you go to the hobby, if you go to the hobby stores, then, yeah. you know, like you're, this isn't, it doesn't play out nearly this way. You go to the hobby yeah. store, you're going to play as well. You're going to play close. You're not going to deal any of this stuff. It's, yeah. it's mostly an online like kind of phenomenon. So like, that's an open question. I don't know if you have any perspective on this. Uh, like how much of the hobby is online and how much of the hobby is just in gamer stores? Like, is it just like a little internet bubble that we're complaining about here? Or does this have a broader effect that we should be discussing? I mean, for these games that break through, I think the the initial crowdfunding campaign or pre-order campaign is very, very small compared to the, the final audience. But for the games that don't break through, or even maybe Marvel Zombicide, they probably will have a version of it that they sell in retail and that is somewhat successful. But for most of those pledge levels, this is probably the only time that people will ever be able to get them, which ties, I think, way deep into that FOMO. So mm. like that... Mm. I think people are looking at it and knowing this is never going to be on, you know, on a retail shelf. I'm never going to see this in my local store. I need to make a decision now, even if it hurts my budget, even if I can't afford it. That to me is a little scary. Mm-hmm. And people make those decisions, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, getting back to the online thing, like the online thing is where, like, first of all, most, more of us are online than ever due to COVID. Right. And like, yeah. even though we're like, kind of like, you know, maybe depending on where you are post COVID <laughs> area, we're, like we're still like, you know, we habituate ourselves online. Uh, you look at some of the, force, uh, the, the the gaming groups. Facebook groups have a uh, 50k uh, people, mm-hmm. and, they, and there's very active posting. R slash board games have 300 regi- three, 3 million registered users over on Reddit. Uh, BGG has two to three million unique accounts. It's five million in traffic. I mean, we're talking; these are big numbers. Even if they're not like online all the time, it's like you log on, and the first thing you see on BGG is an ad banner. Yeah. You, you know, and so for something nice, like then, like sometimes it's Cascadia, but a lot of times it's Castles of Burgundy, you know, uh-huh. three to fifty dollars. Uh, or you go onto the Facebook groups and they they use banner ads too. Mm-hmm. So to say that this is like, well, just just get away from the online and like focus on just the in person play experience. You know, is the in person play experience harmed? Well, I mean, it's the online part of it is still a is still an important part of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. And, and especially for the for the deeper hobbyist, which is this this show is for the 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 more committed gamer hobbyist, like they're gonna encounter this stuff, right? And when they're encountering this stuff, does happiness emerge? You know, and I think like so. So I'll say that. So like you know, I don't want to I don't I don't want to be very specific. That like I'm not saying okay, well, all of board gamers and and all that kind of thing. But I do want to say that for the hobbyist who is engaging with this stuff at all online. And, the, and this is in the millions. This isn't like a, a corner thing. 
I think that there are these little tugs, you know, um, in, in the, um, so we'll get back to the main topic. Uh, so like you, in terms of like, you know, wants and needs, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. we have, you know, I want a game. Like, yeah, nobody needs board games. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I don't need this. I could throw this yeah. away tomorrow and like, I, I'll be fine. Uh, and, and, you know, we're in a hobby where no one like really quote unquote needs anything in terms of like needing food, shelter, all that kind of thing. Right. But we do have a need to belong and mm. we do have a need to want to share and have what we share be accepted. So like if I have a if I have a game and I want to take a picture of it or if I want to like be, be a frequent poster on a forum, which some people that that's a social need for them because maybe they don't, they don't get out. I know I'm conventing some things, but like, really, this is a lot of folks, you know, you go on some of these groups and this is really a lot of the same people that are posting. And it's like, you know, we take for granted that like they're making happy decisions mm-hmm. that uh, with their games, but then you'll have the, also the occasion of post of like, well, I lost my job. Now I have to clear out my collection. Right. Yeah. You'll have, um, I, and I've, I've heard this from, from publishers, like they close down the, the, their crowdfunding mm-hmm. and they'll get an email from somebody like, I got to back out. Please give me a refund. I, I really couldn't afford it. I, I, I you know, uh, this was a really big mistake. And they're given like the sob story. And the publisher yeah. is like, well, because, you know, it's, it's not it's easy for y'all to be like, okay, so the print game's not for the I'll probably sell another copy of it. There you go. But like right. on, the, on the person end, they're like, oh my God, I made a huge mistake. And, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and again, I, I just don't think we talk about that, that deeper end enough. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been on, since I've run a Kickstarter campaign, but there, there were definitely stories like that um, from people who lost their job, like the day after the campaign ended or something, you know, a, a big medical bill came up and um, yeah, there, there are certainly those instances and, and just how, how, cl- how close those lines are between being financially sound and suddenly not being financially sound and to have, an expensive game be the difference between whether or not you can yeah. pay bills from month to month is right. that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of pressure for, for all of us, I think. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm talking about. So like, maybe you can, maybe it's a person can afford it if things all stay the same, but it's yeah. like, these games are pretty expensive and it's like, you know, the, uh, and you know, I think the stat in the United States is like, you know, um, I think 60% of our population does not have $400 in the bank. You know, and that's a huge amount of people. And like, you that's need that $400 to be able to, uh, to afford three games. <laughs> yeah. The way things are right now, especially if you're kind of online plugged in Kickstarter, all that kind of thing. So like, there are people who kind of, they, um, they, they kind of hew very close to their budget or they don't like, mm-hmm. they don't budget. And then, you know, they end up kind of getting in trouble for it. And I think in our community, there's an instinct to say, well, it's on them. You know, yeah. they, they need to be the one budgeting. They need to be the one, whatever. And okay. Okay. I'm not denying that, but mm-hmm. is there on to, to what you said, is there a responsibility on the publisher end? Because in the publisher end, they're not thinking of that again, market is a sociopath. So then like they're in this um, context where like in, in the online space, at least every week we get some of these things. Mm-hmm. It, it, seemingly every week or every month, depending yeah. on what, or like, you know, if we have like a, a bountiful Tuesday, you know, I like the, the, a creator will post in like Sunday and they're like, watch out for Tuesday, uh-huh. <laughs> save your bucks for two. And then you, you, you're soaked in this stuff. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you know, constant like exposure to, you know, if you're going to be on, in an online space and, you know, you, well, you could say that. It's like, well, don't be online. Well, then you've cut off a, a very valuable social resource for somebody. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad you went through those online stats because I, I it's, it, it's impossible to avoid, even if you're just someone who, is on Instagram and likes to scroll through Instagram now and then, or Facebook. I think Instagram is particularly easy to scroll through. Sure. There are so many photos, uh, beautiful photos of, of games on tables. Um, it, it's, un- it's unavoidable. I don't, I don't think you can avoid that as someone who is even just a little curious about games, much less someone who is immersed in the hobby and loves discovering new games and loves talking about games online. Mm-hmm. And yeah. okay, so I think, I think people might come, come to that. It's like, okay, what's the big deal? Right. Yep. What's, what's the what's the big deal of seeing these things? I mean, and so this is where I'd be being my um, background as a psychotherapist and like what the effect of inequality can have on people. Uh, and so I'm going to uh, quote a, a study, National Library of Medicine. Uh, and there's a visibility of these studies, but I just wanted to happen when I pulled up that was recent. Uh, our systemic systematic review included 26 studies, kind of a meta review. 
mostly from high-income countries. Nearly two-thirds of all studies and five out of six longitudinal studies, longer ones, reported a statistically significant positive relationship between income inequality and risk of depression. What does that mean? A positive relationship between those two things. I think in the, in the abstract, we're okay with inequality. Like if I, you know, if someone has and someone doesn't have in the abstract, we're able to kind of make that, that happen. And if we're on the, if we're well off, like, you know, if we could afford the game, then we're okay with that too. But most of us can't like make those decisions. So like when we see it, posted in our face every single day and this the nature of advertising like you know from a publisher perspective you know they're just pressing the facebook button add 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 and like you know just project 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 like that has a long-term um just risk a, a, a impact on our happiness because it's a reminder here's something i can't buy here's something I, here's a reminder of, of, an, of our unequal world Here's a reminder that like I'm a teacher and I should be making four times what I make, but I don't because and, and I say that because there's a lot of teachers that that, that are in the hobby. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I sat down. It's like, well, I have a teacher for a living. Well, how many teachers yeah. can afford this? Yeah. How many teachers can afford $350 Suro? You know, I think we take for granted that like, uh, and we say it's so easy to say, well, it's their fun. Let them do it. And I think we're inclined to say that, but that's still, there's still going to be that tug that social tug of like, why can't I afford that? And I'm not saying that publishers shouldn't do it. What I am saying is maybe think twice about just going for that honeypot. And like, you know, is it, am I, am I really putting joy out into the world when I do this thing? And it sounds like, you know, so, so go back to Suro, Ray, this is a years long project. And this is a joy. And so like, and, they, and Clyde Begins does not do this very often. So like for them, you know, I don't have a problem with that, but like there are companies that go to the well frequently. There are companies that don't need it and they do it anyway because, you know, money, but there's a cost, a social cost. And, and that's, I guess that's really where I wanted to, um, that's really where I wanted to be in this conversation. When as a publisher and designer, I, I hear you and I hope other publishers hear that too. Just the idea that, the decisions that we make in terms of what products that we make and how we price them um, and how deluxe we make them, even though the intent is often people are asking for it or, or it's a passion project or we're trying to bring joy to tabletops, that the outcome can be, as you said in this quote here, can be a reminder of inequality. It can, be, it can cause depression. It can be psychologically damaging to people which I don't think is, it's never the intent of a publisher to do that, but yeah. just the reminder that you've said that uh, and, and made us more aware of that, I think is so important. And so I'm, that's, I think that's the number one reason I'm, I'm grateful that you included me in this conversation because that is a, such an important reminder. Yeah, and it, it, <laughs> I, there's, I, I know I'm gonna get it. I know I'm gonna get so much energy. Uh, and if you're warming up that comment, then I mean, try to think twice because I've answered that comment 20 times. That whole thing of like, well, <laughs> it's on the consumer. You know, they got to know what's on the budget. They got like, this is not about like personal decisions, personal responsibility, but that's all, that's a part of the conversation. That's how I'll say it. That's a part of the conversation. Like, I don't think that we can move past the fact that we're social animals too, you know? And we, we want to feel like we belong. want to feel like we're in a, like a healthy space. It's welcoming and everything. And, you know, like the, the, on the, the online space, at least, you know, maybe in the game store is a little bit different because, you know, like you said before, they, these, these big deluxe versions don't make it there. That's not the right. place for them. Like it, it's, mo- it's, it's very much in the online space, but I don't think we can dismiss it that easily because more and more of us are here. Yeah. And this is the center of the hobby, you know, uh, in terms of like, you know, the, the really passionate people, the evangelists, so to speak, who are spreading <laughs> the gospel of board gaming to others. So like, I think there's a, there's a very important part of the hobby, our ecosystem and having all this, like the blingy stuff. And again, I don't want to pick on one person, a project, it's multiple. Mm-hmm. It's a, it is a constant stream of this stuff. It, I think it's having a, you know, a, like people wonder like, why are we so unhappy? Why are we so unhappy? This part of it. Advertising yeah. is a part of it. Like the constant advertising, the constant hyping. You know, I like to say hype is the engine, but like cynicism and depression are the exhaust. One comes with the other because just because we're social beings. And I just wanted an opportunity to, you know, um, say that, but backed up by someone who can really, you know, bring the numbers, bring the perspectives, bring the experience. Uh, Thank you very much for helping me explore this uh, topic. 
I appreciate that. And, and also just to speak to those who are about to comment, and I hope they do, because I, I look forward to reading the comments, and the questions below, um, who might say, Jamie, you've done, like, how can you be a part of this conversation when you've done this with the metal mechs, with the, you know, with tapestry, with other products like that. And you are right. Like, that is, that is valid. That is a valid thing for you to say, I hear you. And I, I am open to that criticism and that conversation in the comments below. Let's talk about that. Um, I, this is not just me talking about other publishers. This is about me talking about choices that I've made as well. So well, you yeah, made Rolling really Realms too. <laughs> and Rolling Realms, yeah, we made a $20 game as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I hope you make more $20 or $40 games or something like that. Okay. Uh, okay, so uh, so that's where we're going to leave it. Uh, again, I'm very excited to you know engage with people uh, both in the comments below, but also wherever I post in like the Facebook groups and Twitter and all that kind of thing. Uh, so you know, uh, let us know what's going on with Stonemaier very quickly. Uh, a very popular project has a lot of people talking. Viticulture World is releasing yeah, pretty soon. Cool. Yeah, this is actually one that where we did uh, the expansion by itself, and then there's a wine crate version of it that's sold out in the U.S. right now. Um, but we'll we'll make more at some point. That was a little bit more expensive. Um, so what is the wine crate version? Is that the, is that dirty deluxe that we've been talking about? Uh, it's, it's more like it's the expansion in a bigger box that's designed to hold all viticulture stuff. No, nothing else is in there except for the expansion. But that was one thing where people were asked us for a bigger box. I was like, all right, I'm, I'll make a bigger box. So it isn't like the blingy thing. It's just no. like a more functional. It's just an organizer box. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. And that's the big thing coming from Snowmire. And you have other things that are like that five year game that I've mentioned a couple of times percolating back there. And so probably uh, you know. still another year away. Yeah. But for the rest of the year, we have the, the, um, the wingspan expansion, the next, which we haven't quite announced yet, but that'll, that'll be the, the next thing. That we have. Third expansion. Wow. Third expansion. Yeah. All right. So. All right. Jamie Stegmeyer, thank you very much for helping me out with this conversation. Thanks for talking, Jason. If you can change your mind, you can change the world people. So until next time, lay everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.